I think for lack of a better scripture at this point, why don't you turn to uh, the passage in uh, uh, Deuteronomy, uh, try chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 6, and let let me hurriedly uh, bring us up to speed. We're talking about perfect peace rest. Uh, Explanation, how can we have peace regardless of the situation that we are in. And as Dave and I were just speaking, uh, it seems to me that uh, we're getting quickly into a frame of mind in the United States of uh, problems and troubles, and people are very, very concerned about what's going on. And I spoke to you about one of those issues this past Sunday. Uh, So... I think this can be very helpful for us in times like these. I have two analogies that I've been using. One is from Robert Thiem, who is deceased, who was out in Texas, pastor of the Baraka Church. And the other one is from the Scripture. Uh, The hale, exhale, inhale... Uh, idea, I think I really like that. And I told you that when you are, when, when a baby is born, uh, the doctor tries to get them to inhale. And then when you leave this world, the last thing you do is you exhale. You blow out the spirit that is within you. Taken spiritually, taken naturally, if you don't inhale and exhale, you can't live. And you can't live spiritually if you don't inhale and exhale. Inhale is taking in the Word of God, taking in Scripture, taking in doctrine. Exhale is expressing that or standing on that by faith, standing on the promises, confessing it, uh, believing God, walking by faith. As the Scripture says, the just shall live by faith. So, The more we inhale, the more we doctrine, the more teaching that we take in, the more we get in our souls and our minds and in our hearts, uh, the stronger we're going to be spiritually. And I, I have found in my life that when I get in certain situations, there are passages of Scripture that the Spirit of God brings to my mind, and I'm able to stand on those things in that particular, (coughs) excuse me, that particular situation. Expressed in the Bible, the Scripture talks about living by every word of God. When our Lord Jesus Christ was asked about those commandments, on one occasion he said, uh, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. But when he was tempted by the devil to turn the stones to bread, he said, Man shall not live by bread alone. Luke chapter 4, verse 4, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's in Matthew 4, 4, and Luke chapter 4, and verse 4. So really, that's the bottom line for us, is the more we learn what that means, living by every word of God, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, that's what I mean by inhaling taking in the scripture, taking in doctrine, 
the more you'll be able to exhale, the more you'll be able to stand on the promises, the more peace and rest and assurance you'll have, even in impossible situations. Now, I may not get to it tonight, but I wanted to illustrate this to you by, uh, through the children of Israel. If I don't get to this tonight, we'll do this next week in ex- from Exodus chapter 20. Uh, what I want to do is just catch us up where we, where we uh, have been when we live by every word of God. That doesn't mean that we leave the scripture when we leave worship. It means that we conduct our business, we conduct our lives. We guide our families, we raise our children by the word of God. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, this is what is expressed by the Lord through Moses, beginning in uh, verse 6. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, not just in your head, not just before your eyes, but in your heart. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, bind them for a sign upon your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Write them upon the post of your house and on on your gates. The idea behind that is what I'm saying is live by every word of God. I think it's good to post scriptures on your refrigerator. Uh, you can write them on the wall. You can put them on pieces of paper and put them on the doors when you come in. Uh, you can put them on every door of your house. You're, some of your neighbors might think you're strange, but so what? <laughs> you tell them that you're trying to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we have this uh, idea of inhaling and exhaling. And then the biblical idea is expressed in this Shema hearing. If you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and uh, in verse 4, right here, the Lord our God is one Lord. What does he say before he says that? He says, hear, O Israel, Deuteronomy 6, 4, hear, O Israel. I have taught you that that word here is the word, the Hebrew word shama, S-H-A-M-A, and that is biblical hearing, and there are six characteristics of Shema hearing. First of all, it assumes that one has the ability to hear. Secondly, that one hears with attention. Thirdly, that one hears with interest. Fourthly, that one hears with understanding. Fifthly, that one hears with consent. And sixthly, that one hears with a willingness to obey. So we look, we we're beginning to look at this first one, assuming that one has the ability to hear. What is the problem with our hearing? Well, something is, because that's why Jesus said, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He said that a lot. And he knew that his hearers had these appendages here that we call ears. He's talking about spiritual hearing. Spiritual hearing requires these characteristics of these marks or bears these marks that I've just mentioned, and I'm going to quickly go over them with you. Why do we have problems hearing? Well, we have a problem hearing because of sin. When God made man, he made him uh, from the ground. He was just clay. But the scripture says he was not alive until God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And that breathing into his nostrils 
That's the Spirit of God that brings life to the human being. So when Adam became a human being with body, with soul, with spirit, so men are triunity, just like God, Father, Son, Spirit, so we have body, we have soul, we have spirit. When he became a living soul, as the Scripture says, he was fully God-conscious. There's no mention in the Scripture that Adam was thinking about himself, that Eve was thinking about herself. How do we know that? Well, the Scripture expresses this this way. It says, they were both naked and they were not ashamed. So it means that they were not at all concerned about themselves. They were in a state of innocence. They were in a state of purity. There was nothing uh, in them but God consciousness. They were completely, totally caught up with the God who made them. And the God who made them was their father. So this was the first family. This is the father, and these are his two children, his son and his daughter, Adam and Eve. What happened, what caused the problem uh, in the Garden of Eden? Well, what caused the problem was that Adam, and especially Adam, but Eve, were not Shammah hearers. They listened to another voice. They listened to some other voice, and they received the instructions of that voice, and they obeyed that voice, and they fell from their lofty estate. When they fell, when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened to them? The Scripture describes man now as coming into the world dead in sin. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul said to the Ephesians, you, God has made alive, he has quickened, the old King James Version says, who were dead. But how were you dead? You weren't dead physically. You might not even been dead in a lot of other ways, but you were dead spiritually. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, the word death, you can look this up. You can trace it out yourself. Get on Wikipedia and look it up. But the word death, the etymological uh, origination of that word, comes from the idea of separation, death to separate. When you go up to a body that's in a casket, you know that the person that was in that body has been separated from that body. That body has no spirit in it. It has no person in it. And as I said, I can't remember whether I said it Sunday or whether I said it last Wednesday, the Bible pictures our bodies as temporary dwelling places called a tabernacle. So we live in these bodies filled with the spirit of life. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, the spirit of God that was in them withdrew himself. God is Life, spiritual life, when spiritual life left, then they were dead in trespasses and sins. They were alive physically, but they were dead to God. They were separated from God. Your sins has separated you from God. Ezekiel 18.4, I believe it is, 18.4. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Your sins have separated you from God. So when Adam sinned against God, 
The Spirit of God withdrew, leaving him separated from God. And so he was in a spirit, uh, spiritual state of death. It took, what, 900 years, 800, 900 years before his body died, but he was dead in trespasses and sins. And that's why he died physically, and that's why we all have to die physically, because of this fall. Now, this spiritual death expresses itself, if you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 2 for just a moment, the spiritual death expresses itself in the lives that human beings lived. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, the passage I just quoted, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. How did that express itself? Verse 2, in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the children of disobedience. Now, who does that refer to? It refers to Lucifer, or the devil, or Satan, okay? This is Ephesians 2 and verse 2. He said, you walked in time past, before God made you alive again, you walked according to the course of this world, the Bible tells us that the whole world is in the lap of the wicked one. We know that Satan told the Lord Jesus Christ when he tempted him, he said, I can give you all the kingdoms of this world because they have been delivered unto me. Now that requires a totally different study of what we call the angelic conflict. I mentioned it two or three times Sunday, Revelation chapter 12 it has to do with Lucifer's fall and being kicked out of heaven. Okay, so he says, in time past, instead of walking like children of God, instead of walking being filled with the Spirit of God, you're walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in all the children of disobedience. So disobedience comes from that spirit that tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Then he says in verse 3, we all had our, King James uses the term conversation, it means lifestyle. The idea back in those days in 1611 when this Bible was translated or when the King James was translated, the idea was you listen to somebody talk, you can kind of tell where they are in their life. So we had our conversation we talked like we were dead in trespasses and sins. We lived like we were dead in trespasses and sins. We had our manner of life in time past in the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh and the mind, and we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Then he talks about God, who is rich in mercy, verse 4, even when we were dead, verse 5, he has made us alive, and he has raised us up. In other words, we've had a resurrection. Verse 6, he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so here is Adam. What, what did Adam do? He took the fruit from his wife. His wife was deceived, but Adam was not deceived. We read that in 1 Timothy chapter 2 beginning in verses 13 and 14, says, Adam was first formed, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived 
was in the transgression. God made Adam first. He told him about what to eat and not to eat. It was Adam's responsibility to teach Eve, his wife. So the scripture says she was deceived, but he was not deceived. He took the fruit from her hand with his eyes wide open, fully knowing that what he was doing was against what God told him to do. So it was a deliberate, willful transgression. And by the way, as I have mentioned many times to you, there are two words in the New Testament, two words from the Corne Greek. Corne means common. You take the word koinonia, fellowship, the fellowship of the saints. There are two words translated sin in the New Testament. One word means a willful, continual, deliberate sin, anomia, A-N-O-M-I-A, is where we would anglicize that. And the other one means missing the mark, like in Romans 3.23. All have sinned and come short, short of the glory of God. We don't hit the bullseye all the time. Sometimes we do, but most of the time we miss it. And that is the word hamartia, H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A. That's the way we would anglicize from the Greek. And it means missing the mark. Now, I believe that the Lord does something about the anomia sin when we're saved. In other words, this deliberate, willful, continual transgression is broken. We're still sinners. We still fall short. But he breaks that. You know that song that we sing, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. And you think about that. That was written by, anybody know who wrote that? Uh, Charles Wesley wrote it. Charles Wesley. And we sing, I can't remember all the words to it right now. Uh, but he has that line in there. He breaks the power of canceled sin. Sin has been canceled out, but it still has a power over us because we're still in, this, in these bodies. And he breaks the power of that canceled sin. It's been canceled out, so we're justified with God, but he breaks the power of it so that it doesn't have complete power over us while we're here. And as I said Sunday, we have a battle, we have a war, we have to deal with it, we have to deal with the world and the flesh and the devil, but the power of canceled sin has been broken. And so we're able to, when we fall, to get up, call on the Lord, and go on. All right, so when Adam sinned against God, the Spirit of the Lord withdrew himself, leaving him dead in trespasses and sins, And why did he sin? He sinned because he didn't live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He listened to some other word, some other voice, and he listened it and obeyed it. So the general effects of Adam's sin are these. Self-awareness, self-consciousness, which gets up on the throne. Shame. Adam tried to cover, and Eve tried to cover their nakedness. Fear of God. Adam, where are you? I heard your voice, and I was afraid. Before he wasn't afraid, he had fellowship with God. But he became afraid as a result of the, of the guilt and the shame. And then he had no remorse. You don't find anywhere where Adam said, I'm sorry, 
I'm, I'm, I repent and dust this out. You don't find anywhere where he said he has any remorse about his sin. He just, matter of fact, the woman you gave me, the woman you gave me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. There's no remorse in that. And then, of course, uh, the Lord dealt with them in a severe way, drove them out of the Garden of Eden. The Bible says, if you go back and read it, lest they partake of the tree of life. There was a tree of life in the Garden of Eden, which in their fallen state, if they had taken of the tree of life, that's eternal life, they would have lived forever in a fallen state with no possibility of redemption. And the Lord knew that, so what did he do? He, the scripture says he took two cherubims with flaming swords to keep them from the tree of life and drove them out of the garden. Okay? So that was an act of grace in doing that. Now, the personal effects, those were the general effects. The general effects, self-awareness, in the sense that we're consumed with self, uh, shame, they tried to cover their nakedness, fear of God, no remorse, and charges God for their, their troubles. Okay? Those were the general effects. The personal effects we read from Romans chapter 3 last week. There's none that seek God. There's none that call on God. There's none good, no, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. Romans chapter 3, 9 through 19 gives us the personal effects that come when we don't listen to the word of God, when we don't live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That made necessary redemption to avoid condemnation. So what has to happen? Well, the Spirit of God must be renewed. Adam died spiritually, then he died physically. So all of his children are born in sin, as we just read Ephesians chapter 2. Now, the Spirit of God is renewed through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is the living Word of God. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same as in the beginning with God. Jesus Christ is the living Word of God, so to hear Him is to hear the Word of God. And to believe on him is to hear him. In other words, when we say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And I'm going to cover this, I hope, tonight. We're saying be a Shema hearer. And a characteristic of a Shema hearer from the Hebrew means hear with a spirit of obedience. If you don't hear with the spirit of obedience, you don't hear. There's no such thing as saying, and this is where we're getting today in our churches, I believe on Jesus, but I'm going to go ahead and do, do my own thing, and I'm going to heaven when I die because I believed on Jesus. And then we got into the issue of what was called lordship salvation. The devil always tries to complicate things. 
They said, well, you know, you can make Jesus your Savior and then you make him your Lord. Well, first of all, you don't make him your Savior and you don't make him your Lord. <laughs> the Father declared him <coughs> to be the only Savior and the Father made him Lord. So we've got a whole person here. You can't divide Christ into Savior and Lord. He's Lord and he's Savior. And Ralph Barnard used to say, you tell me who your Lord is and I'll tell you who your Savior is. So I want you to think about this now. Jesus Christ is the living word of God, so to hear him is to hear the word of God. And if we really believe on him, then we hear him, and if we hear him, we obey him. We are a Shema hearer. All right. Now, I think, I don't know how many of these passages I should have you turn to, but this is in Titus chapter 3. I'll read it to you, Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. We ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving all kinds of lust and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Now listen to this now. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing, when we sinned, the Spirit of God left. And the renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So he says we're not saved by the works of righteousness which we have done, but we're saved by his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing, renewing of the Holy Spirit. That spirit that was lost in the fall is renewed uh, through faith in Christ. Now, I'm not going to go over all these in details, but here are a paper that I want to give you. Five things that the Spirit of the Lord does for the believer instantaneously uh, when a person is saved, when a person is regenerated. Yeah. Uh, I think I made enough copies for everybody to have one. Maybe every individual, if, y'all, if every individual wants one. I might have enough. Hey, you're welcome. So I won't go over all this in detail, but you can read, study, look up these passages. I will mention them to you. Y'all want each one a copy? You can have one if you want one. All right, that's it. Okay, so everybody has one, y'all can have two. Anybody not have one, wants one, I have a few more. Okay, so here are five things that the Spirit of God does for the believer. Regeneration indwells the believer, baptizes the believer into Christ, seals the believer, bestows at least one spiritual gift on the believer. So I've given you some scriptures there, and you can look up those scriptures, read those scriptures, go back and study those scriptures. These are 
means of our security in Christ. When we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God is renewed, just as I just read to you from Titus chapter 3, all of these five things are given to us instantaneously in this salvation that we have in Christ by believing the living Word of God, who is Christ, and then believing what He says. Jesus said this. He said, one day when we asked Him about judging things, He said, there is one that will judge men in the final day, the Word that I speak. The Word that I speak. He's the living Word. When you believe on Him, you're believing the Word of God. So being a Shema hearer means to be, to have the ability to hear. The Spirit of Christ is given to us in regeneration. And so really a Shema hearer is a believer. And all who cannot hear will not hear. If you are not a believer, I suggest asking the Lord to give you ears to hear. And he has never refused. There's never, there's not one passage in the scripture that says the Lord has ever refused any person who sincerely sought him. He said, come unto me and I will give you rest. In Isaiah 55, call ye upon the Lord while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. If you are a believer, then I suggest asking the Lord to give you a real desire to read his word, to take in the word of God. This is this inhaling. Inhaling is taking in God's word so that you have it in your mind and in your heart and you will automatically begin to live according to it, if it gets in you. So, to be a Shamara hearer begins with having the ability to hear. And that ability is given by the Spirit in regeneration through faith in Jesus as the Messiah. Okay? The second characteristic of a Shamara hearer is that you hear with attention. Your mind is engaged if your mind is somewhere else, how many of you can say, when I try to pray, my mind wanders off here, and I'm thinking about what did I do here, did I not do that, did I do not do this? You have, we have these problems, and you have to ask the Lord to engage your mind when you're praying and when you're hearing the Word of God. <clears throat> if your mind is somewhere else, you're not really going to hear. Prayer is talking to God, reading His Word is God talking to us. Now, who inspired the Bible? Well, the Spirit of God inspired the Bible. And you can't be full of the Spirit if you're not full of the Word that the Spirit inspired. You must be full of the Word of God to be full of the Spirit of God. So your mind must be engaged, and we find this problem everywhere, battling against our flesh and against our mind, and a hundred things come to mind that divide our intention. And that can be a problem in anything we do. And of course, inattention can be a dangerous thing. There are thousands of automobile wrecks today because of cell phones. <laughs> and 
uh, because of other devices. When I pull up behind somebody at a red light, and that light turns green, they're still sitting there, I know that they're, do, they're doing something like this. You know what I do? I honk my horn. <laughs> I try to do it politely, but I honk it a couple of times, and, and I've seen them wake up, startling, wake up, and take off. Uh, I try not to talk on the cell phone if I get to, I have a hands-free device in that Suburban out there, and so when people call me, I can talk and, and still drive. Uh, but we have to be careful. A lot of people, thousands of automobile wrecks, because of cell phones and other devices. And I, I think it's supposed to be against the law uh, to talk or text while you're driving, but it seems like it's impossible to enforce. And as a result, many drivers and many pedestrians are injured or killed. So when we read or hear the Word of God, determined to do so with undivided attention. Okay, so the first characteristic of a Shema hearer is having the ability to hear. The second characteristic is to hear with attention. The third characteristic, or the third mark, is to hear with interest. The Bible says in Proverbs 22.17, Proverbs 22.17, incline your ear and hear the words of the wise. We must hear with interest. Our heart must be engaged. Do we really want to hear? Do we really want to know the Lord more, better? The heart that's not engaged uh, is going to cause problems for us who try to hear. We must have an engaged heart if we're going to profit from hearing. Joshua said to Israel in Joshua 24 and verse 23, Incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. The Lord said to Solomon, And Solomon said to his son in Proverbs 23, verse 26, My son, give me your heart. Solomon, when he prayed a dedication prayer for the temple, he prayed in that prayer for a heart that was inclined toward the Lord's word. Here's what he said, 1 Kings 8, 58, The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers, Let him not leave us nor forsake us, that he may incline our hearts unto him to walk in all of his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, which he commanded our fathers. So whoever or whatever has your heart has you. Whoever has your full attention and interest has you. And heart hearing is the only hearing that that will profit us. The fourth characteristic of a Shema hearer is to hear with understanding. That is to have a spiritual ear. The natural man does not understand the word of God so that he might understand the words. He might understand somebody that's teaching the word, but he doesn't understand it as a Shema hearer. He's not going to really put forth any effort to obey it, to walk according to it. That is what it is to have a spiritual ear. The more you read the word, the more you hear the word, the more to talk about the word, the more understanding you're going to have of the word. I'll close with this. All of you know the story about the Ethiopian eunuch, I think. It's recorded in Acts chapter 8. And he was a convert to Judaism, and he was returning home from Jerusalem, and he was engaged in reading Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Now, when he was reading that, as it's recorded in Acts chapter 8, there was no New Testament. 
There was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So he was reading Isaiah 53 in the Old Testament. And the apostle Philip had been in Jerusalem, and he had been led of the Spirit to go out to a certain way and a certain road that led to Gaza. And when he got down there, here comes this caravan uh, that had the Ethiopian eunuch in it. Uh, and the Spirit of the Lord impressed Philip to go up to a certain one of those carriages in the caravan. And when he walked up to it, he heard this man reading out loud from Isaiah 53. And this is what he said. This is Acts chapter 8, verse 30. He said, do you understand what you're reading? And that's the point I'm trying to make now, is you must hear, be a Shema hearer, have a spiritual ear, which means to hear with understanding. And he said, do you understand what you're reading? And this is what he said. He said, how can I accept some man should guide me? That's Acts 8.31. And with that, he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in the carriage. That's verse 32. And it says that he was reading what we call verses 7 and 8 in Isaiah 53. And this is what it says. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? He was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was stricken. That's where he was reading. That's Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. And so then the, the eunuch said to Philip, Now tell me, who is this prophet Isaiah talking about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And this is very important. I keep repeating this, but this is very important. Philip didn't have a New Testament. He couldn't say, let me take you over here to the Matthew. Let me take you over here to Romans and show you the state of man and the need of salvation. He didn't have a New Testament. But of course, Philip was an eyewitness because he was one of the apostles. So he had been with the Lord Jesus. He had not only seen him and known him, but he had heard his teachings. And he had been there uh, when he was crucified. So he knew the scriptures. He knew the Old Testament. He was he had inhaled the Old Testament scriptures. And he said, beginning, the Bible says, beginning at the same verse, he preached unto him Jesus. He showed him how those verses in Isaiah 53 could only be understood in view of one person, and that is Jesus of Nazareth, whom we believe to be the Messiah, because he rose from the dead. All right, so to be a Shema hearer is to be a person that is inhaling the Word of God. I gave you those five things that the Spirit of the Lord does with you. It assumes if you are, if you are inhaler of the Word of God, if you're a Shema hearer, you have the ability to uh, hear. You hear with attention. You hear with interest. You hear with understanding. You hear with consent, that is, you agree with what God says to you. You agree, your attitude is, Lord, whatever you say in your word is what I believe and what I will live according to. You hear with a ready heart, willing to obey. 
Because if I'm not willing to obey what I hear, hearing's not going to do me any good. Failure to obey is failure to hear. So a Shema hearer is an obedient hearer. We can often say with Paul, I don't understand what I do. I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I should be doing. I don't do it as well as I want to do. I'd like to live above sin. But we do have a consensual attitude. We want to do what we hear. So here's the bottom line in closing. Being a Shema hearer, hearing the Word of God, with a heart to obey, is a struggle. It's a struggle. But according to the Bible itself, it's the normal experience for every genuine believer. We can't be saved or claim assurance of salvation without hearing the Word of God. And we can't go through this world in a victorious manner unless we are a Shamar hearer. Now here's what Paul said. I'll close with this. He said, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I do count them but dung. Boy, the English uh, translators are so uh, good about not putting dirty words in the Bible. That word is manure. That's what it is. You have a lot of other English words to, to, to express manure. He can't say dung. That I may win Christ, I want to know more about Christ. I want him to have me in my heart, and I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that righteousness, which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. I want to know him, that is, experientially, and the power of his resurrection in my life, and the fellowship of his sufferings, that is, I want to follow his example, even if it means suffering, even unto death. I want to be conformable to his death. So Paul knew the Lord, but he wanted to know more of him, so he'd be a more obedient servant, even unto death. Father, we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you will bless our brief studies of these things, that you will make us true, bona fide hearers of your word, that we might determine within ourselves that we will not live by bread alone, but by every word that has proceeded from your mouth. And we know that the avenue for doing this is faith in the living word, your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and hearing what he has said. He said, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. He said, a wise man will hear what I say unto you and build your house on the rock, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. And then all of the winds and the waves and the storms of this life will not blow us off of that foundation. We thank you for your great power and security. We thank you for your salvation that is in the Lord Jesus. Strengthen us, we pray, in his name and for his sake. Amen.